Welcome to the Leadership Network Podcast. Leadership Network is a community of multipliers who gather to collaborate, innovate, and pursue what God has next for His church. Our mission is to champion healthy growth that is capable of reproducing. Thank you for joining this conversation, and here's today's episode. Hey, welcome to the next online gathering of Microchurch Next. We're trying to create a, a table, um, a, a, a virtual fire that we can gather at together uh, to tune into what Jesus is doing in the hearts of thousands of people as we see uh, new movements of microchurches emerging here in the West. Today's going to be a great conversation. Really glad you're here. So, uh, hey, good morning, Brian and Brian. Good morning. Yeah, we're trying to make this easy. You can just speak to both of us. Brian Squared. It can get confusing. That's like George Foreman. I don't know how all of his boys, boys named George. So that, <laughs> right. I mean, it's convenient to just shout George, but <laughs> yeah. it can be confusing. Well, if they all show up, at least somebody's going to get something done that was going to be requested. <laughs> you, have, you have an army of Georges ready. You do. <laughs> you do. So. Well, you know, so we have one of our uh, directors here in Kansas City. His name is Corey. And now we have this multiplication of Corey's. But I always give Corey a hard time because he's connected to these global disciple-making movement leaders. And I swear, 70 to 80% of them are named David. I'm like, I don't – like, can you can you do this globally? If you, don't, you have to change your name. Anyway, sorry. Well, let's bring it back. David's. Yeah. We are in this series that we call the return of the microchurch. And uh, Brian, this is like the last sort of episode in this little series. And I was thinking about this introduction today. We've been reminding people, hey, we're in this series of return of the microchurch every week. And I thought this is going to be really weird intro for you to hear a return of the microchurch. <laughs> since it's not a return for you. It is just the paradigm in which you have lived in for the last 20 years. Uh, but we have seen this flourishing in the global South and we see this movement towards it here in the West. And uh, we're thrilled about it because we know that for biblical reasons and missiological reasons, it's such an important uh, conversation for this moment that we're in especially in a post-pandemic world where we're asking what do forms of the church look like and why should we be dreaming with a, a new missional imagination? Mm-hmm. So I, I'm looking forward to the conversation as well. Well, and today's theme is on the topic of calling and the missionary life. I can't think of a better person for us to have this conversation with than you, Brian. And again, if Jesus' plan is to fill everything every way, the question is, how is he going to do that? And uh, in the predominant model, there's been primarily a volunteerism model. Grateful for what God's done through the volunteer movement. It has got a lot of people up off their butts and into uh, some form of missional activity. But that's not what we're speaking about today. Uh, We believe that Jesus' strategy to fill everything every way is by each of us discovering the unique piece of mission that has our name on it. in the Kansas City Underground, we like to call it your masterpiece mission out of Ephesians 2.10. So we celebrate. Everyone's got this primary calling to make disciples. But within that, there's a one-of-a-kind masterpiece mission. Um, and so today, most of you know Brian Sanders. Uh, he's a social entrepreneur. He has his hands in a lot of different pies. He's 
uh, a founder of both uh, Tampa Underground and the Underground Network. Um, and Brian, I know right now you've got a couple new jobs that I'd love for you to share about in just a couple of minutes. But uh, Brian and I were saying this uh, earlier, uh, we wouldn't be here doing what we're doing if it weren't for the influence of Brian Sanders. I know way back in the early 2000s, when I was trying to run some experiments inside of this mega church, I had a buddy who lives down in Tampa and he's like, have you heard about this Tampa underground thing? I was like, no. And he sent me the website and I started reading it. I was like, it was like, it was glowing, not just from the screen, but like the Holy Spirit was like, whoa, <laughs> what is this? What is this? So it became kind of an affectionate stalker ever since then. <laughs> so Brian, uh, thank you for being here today, man. We really appreciate it. Yeah, it's good. Um, <clears throat> I, it is it is a kind of surreal experience over the course of 15 years, which is not that long a time to see, I don't know, the, the idea of empowered, decentralized, uh, smaller versions of church, that, you know, the priest of all believers, that sort of thing, become, um, well, to go from being resisted maybe at some level or 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 to, to then or, or actually dismissed probably initially <laughs> then resisted then seen as a threat you know yep. and, and now sort of being warmly embraced and and i i i know some some of us that have been in this this world might feel a little bit hard done by that or bitter or something but i i just don't feel that way at all i yeah. i think as i've as, a, as I've tried to follow Jesus in this different way, I just feel more mercy actually and patience for the mm -hmm. church at large in general, not less. You know, I was probably more angry early on uh, about how things were done, but um, I'm just happy, I guess. I'm just happy that that we're having these conversations, that that um, that everybody at least is is considering the possibility that there are people who who have they have seen maybe as units mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. uh that that make up the size of their church the significance of their church to see them again as as called people you know mm -hmm. as, as missionaries as apostles whatever so it's pretty cool and and for the most part i'm just happy to be talking about it yeah well, why don't you give us a little bit more where you are right now? Because you've transitioned into some new roles. So, well, what does the the current uh, life of Brian Sanders look like? Well, it's funny. I was thinking the other day how it's maybe just not God's will for me to be doing or or leading in a space where uh, most people would agree with me. Or <laughs> so. So just when. <laughs> Just when, uh, just when there's, there's kind of just when the plowing was easy adoption <laughs> of this idea, I'm sort of on to something else. But um, yeah, I, I think for me, one of the meta skills of the 21st century, one one of three primary meta skills, is the idea of collaboration to be able to work across organizational purposes and um, to to be able to break down what what has traditionally in the 20th century in the Western world been a, a motif of, of competition, <clears throat> you know, successor competition. Um, and that, that idea is really dying. And, and in its place is this, is this emerging value or this emerging skill, actually skill of collaboration, which we don't, ha we don't have. 
So, so we hear it, we think of it, it feels right, the 21st century, like we, we ought to be collaborating. But actually, the, the skill set required for leaders to understand how to bring their organization into a cross-organizational plan or a cross-organizational labor, it's just foreign to us. We, we actually don't know how to do it. And we don't, know how to, we don't know how to build complex strategic plans together. We don't know how to pull in the same direction. So as much as we may want to do that, it's a nascent technology. It's a nascent social technology that has to be worked out, iterated. So that's one of the roles that I have right now with the National Christian Foundation is working on convening and creating impact alliances around key causes and convening you know, agency heads from all across that cause. The other thing I'm doing is working with a really cool uh, co-working company, which is trying to expand all around America right now and helping them come into Florida. It's called Cohatch. And, and we, we don't want to talk about that because there's plenty of other things to talk about, but it's a beautiful possibility of, of a merger of sort of a for-profit business idea that can create an ecosystem where some of our decentralized church uh, technology can work, can fit into. So I think it could be a sort of solution to the facilities problem, which those of us that have been trying to do decentralized church, we have mm. to solve that. It's a it's a puzzle that we have to be able to figure out. You know, the conventional legacy form of church had at least it had physical plant figured out, mm. you know, to fit, to fit its model. But we we're still <laughs> we're still trying to figure out how to do that. I mean, Rob, I can remember us driving around Kansas City and just being like, "How do you, you know, how do you how do you do?" space in a city like this which is so spread out and right so different pockets and do you have do you have 15 buildings do you have what do you you know what do you do so uh anyway so i'm that's the two the two big uh jobs i have right now you know the second one uh have you been watching the uh New show on Apple TV about WeWork. <laughs> yeah, and i've and i've read two or three of the books about adam newman and it's a, it's a cautionary tale although it's not it's not dissimilar to the story of christians uh with with megalomaniac tendencies or wanting to totally the world or whatever so it's just sort of a secular version of what we've been reading in our own uh sad stories lately anyway yeah completely agree well hey i we want to um dive deep today uh into again the place of calling in the life of a missionary and how calling is connected to the emergence of micro churches. And I know this has been a big piece of your life work. And I'm curious, you know, give us, take us back into your story. Uh, what drew you into this fascination with calling, um, particularly in the life of ordinary people? Um, because one of the things that calling has been present in the life of the church, but it's typically been reserved for quote unquote, the professionals like Billy Graham gets a calling or your pastor gets a calling, but ordinary people haven't tended to think of it that way, but that's obviously been something you've been, had a healthy obsession with. So how did that start? What was the origin of that curiosity? Well, I guess I, th I, I probably, before I answer that, I probably should say that I, ha I have a, a sort of Pentecostal influence on me. Um, and, and I, I'd say I'm probably like a, like a backsliding Pentecostal. I don't, I don't, I, I, <laughs> Yeah. No, like I know. Like I don't speak you, in tongues. I don't speak in tongues enough, I guess. But um, I have seen you use the flag, though. The flag stuff. That flags. <laughs> I'm kind of reserved in worship. So, but but in my heart and in my 
like acts two is everything you know um multi-ethnicity empowerment um you know mission the birth of the church the dispersion of the church um it's everything you know mm-hmm. so whatever whatever we are now we're, i mean microchurches is pentecost it's about pentecost you know um Amen. but you know right there in, in the midst of that that origin story of the church is like the voice of god spoken to each person contextualization in its own way in their own language and yeah. um but man you, it has to be god like no it wasn't about peter preaching a sermon peter preaches a sermon after to 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 interpret the event the right. um the theophany really so something about that has always been meaningful to me like to hear the voice of god also i'm a, i was a little bit anti-authoritarian uh, growing up so i wasn't interested in listening to other people tell me what they think i ought to do with my life or whatever uh and and i and i probably if people would have tried i would have just rejected it you know even if they were correct you know um so i was not there's something really primal and correct about like only jesus can lead you really only Jesus can call you. Only Jesus can give you an assignment in the world. Um, so it's mystical, probably. And then I also think, you know, as I've grown older and as I've tried to do this, like tried to make disciples, tried to, to be, you know, a missionary person and build a missionary community and a missionary church. Um, I think, and I don't know what you guys think about this, but I think that there are there are discipleship systems that exist that are kind of atheistic in the sense that you meet i meet you and then you can walk me through that discipleship system and every single step that i need to become a mature person in christ you can do Hmm. you can teach me right there is no there's no spot in there that it's like we can't do that Hmm. you know as a as a human teacher leader I just can't do that. So in, I think of, you know, Matthew 28, where he's like, okay, you have to what? Make disciples, you know, teach them to obey all that I've commanded, baptize them. You know, there, there's definitely stuff we're supposed to do in the discipleship mm-hmm. process, right? That's, that's for us to do, mm-hmm. to teach obedience and to, 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 you know, baptize and proclaim the kingdom and so on. But then, okay, but then there's got to be things that only God can do, like the, the wooing of the soul, you know, the irresistible, the call, the, 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 the invitation, the, 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 the Holy Spirit convicting the world of sin and guilt. You can't do that. We, I can't do that, right? Mm-hmm. So that, you know, conviction, um, comfort, um, you know, appealing back of of revelation over and over again i was thinking of yes. john 3 the other day where jesus is like look unless you're born again and of course we have taken that and we've turned it into like a single event that happens in your yeah. life and that's probably true i mean regeneration is is being born again right but then the second part of that where he's talking about the wind blows and anybody who's who's you know uh, born from above is like the wind and it's like, what does that have to do with a one-time regeneration event? It's just very confusing. John three doesn't read well <laughs> with that interpretation, you know. But if you think, of, but if you think of new birth as like a peeling back of revelation, that that yes, re- conversion is one of those things. But you get we you should be converted a hundred times in your life mm-hmm. to some new revelation about who God is and about how the world is and 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 a depth of understanding about forgiveness and 
realizing I'm forgiven and then realizing that I'm meant to forgive and then realizing about justice and realizing about mercy and then realizing again about, I mean, we should be, we should be waking up, I don't know, monthly or something, maybe two, three times a year and being like, it's like I was born again. I, I have this whole new discovery, right? But that that's only possible with the, with the active presence of God in this discipleship system, right? So for me, and I don't know how you would answer it, and I think everybody listening has to think about what discipleship system do we have, and where is there a spot in that system that no, you can't do, mm. and it stops until God intervenes. Yeah. Like the system breaks down at this point unless God. Mm-hmm. And for us, that has always been calling. Mm. So, so it's not just the conviction of sin and guilt. It's not just the comfort of you know, walking with us in life and the peeling back of revelation and new discoveries about him, that is what discipleship looks like. But it's ascending, right? Mm-hmm. It's a it's ultimately the, the missionary identity that we have as disciples. We start as disciples, we become apostles. And and that apostolic calling, nobody nobody should even try to do that. No, no, I don't I don't even think it's right for a human leader to even try to say, this is what you should do with your life. This is where you should be deployed for the sake of the kingdom. So what that does, at least for us, is that left this this big gaping hole in our in our vision of how discipleship would work, where it's like, look, if you have not heard God speak to you somehow about your assignment in this world, the people that he's called you to, this whole thing has to stop. There's nothing else we can do. Mm-hmm. And so that drives you then to figure out all of the things you can do to create an environment where that can happen, <laughs> because yeah. you don't just want it to die in the water there, you know. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's a part of the story of the underground too. Is just early on realizing we we're we can't do anything if people don't feel called by God Himself. Mm-hmm. We, we can't we can't form a community. We can't plant microchurches, and we may want to do that. And you're also banking on and trusting that God actually wants to do that. Yeah. Because then you're putting it in his hands and to some degree the the frailty of that human person, that disciple, to 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 you know seek an answer to the question, who yeah. am I and what have you made me to do in this world? Mm. At least for now, in this season of my life, where have you where are you sending me? I mean if you say I'm a missionary or I'm called to be an overseas missionary and I say, well that's amazing where are you going? And you said, well, I don't know. Well, what does that even mean then? You know what I mean? So, so you're called to the nations, but where are you, where are you, where, where are you called? Like to what nation are you called? Well, I don't know. I haven't figured it out yet. And then I come back 10 years later. This is real. Mm-hmm. I come back 10 years later and say, have you figured it out? I said, nah, no, I, I just haven't heard from God. Well, what, how do you buy the plane ticket? How do you learn the language? How do you how do you pick pack up and move? How are you a missionary if you don't know to whom you've been sent? To where you have been sent, right? So I to your point, Rob, about volunteerism, we we could outsource that mm-hmm. to a visionary leader mm-hmm. or to a strong community to just tell us. Tell us where we're supposed to go. Tell us what we're supposed to do. I just think that's a huge mistake. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and always have. And so essentially then you build you build a new place a new kind of structure and community where it just doesn't work without having heard god mm-hmm. i think as i listened to you speak the that word environments was coming right before you said it you know it's like in uh in the model of church that i grew up in 
there was no space really to discern calling because I'm being talked at all the time and there's no space of listening Mm -hmm. and there's no space to slow down and listen for the voice of God because it's being uh, filtered through someone else that I'm, I'm given this filter. You are the voice of God for me or whatever that is. So I, that's just personally convicting. Again, I'm like thinking through man for our network, where are we creating spaces that we're inviting? But listen, it's not just that because I have, I have, this is a new discovery for me. I've done a little bit of consulting with like charismatic churches yeah, and they listen to God all the time. So they, they're actually, and it's it kind of, it's kind of amazing and beautiful that, that the comfort with which some kinds of Christian communities can just sort of enter into the presence of God and hear the voice of God for each other. Yeah. Freely, liberally sharing words with each other. And yet they still don't have an answer to this question. So, so there is, there is a, a, a subtle, you know, addition to that to say, it's not just the space to listen, but it's actually the, the pressurizing of the question to answer. Yeah. So not just to listen to God, but then to come out of that place of listening and say, okay, where do I feel God is sending me? Mm-hmm. And, and and people who are very comfortable listening to the voice of God still don't ask and answer that question. Mm-hmm. And it's it's weird. It's like <laughs> maybe we're afraid. I I don't know. Maybe maybe uh, there's I, just, there's just there, no. I think there is a yeah. I think there's a sense of. Um, that people have intuitively about what that's going to cost them. Mm. Yeah. Maybe it's like, it's such a dangerous, potent question. (laughs) You have to buy that. You have to buy the plane ticket. Once he says, says, you know, Burundi or whatever, then it's like, okay. I do want to say to everybody who's listening right now, um, may be blessed with the courage for you to personally ask this question. Yeah. Even today. And, and if you are leading a spiritual family, a microchurch, um, maybe you have the courage to ask them to ask the question, even this week, mm-hmm. um, when you see their faces and, or you're sharing a meal. Um, there's, there's so much of the future that's waiting to come into the present through that. Well, and, and, and if the people we ask don't really know and don't really have an answer, which is typical, um, then that that becomes the the sort of urgent need of the community. Yeah, yeah. Urgent need of leadership and like, okay, I need to figure out how to help my people. That's what I wanted to. Yeah, that's what I wanted to get to with the listening piece was hearing a little bit about calling lab because when when I was saying like this piece on we have to create environments for listening, you're you're creating sort of this are created in my understanding of, of calling lab this moment of uh, maybe I'm using this language, right? Of what you just said of kind of pressurizing the question, I'm putting you in a space to explore, mm-hmm. to get an answer to that question. But a lot of that space is listening and paying attention to what is true about me. What is true about my story uh, and may, and some objective coaching as well. That's like going, is, is this true? <laughs> Maybe we can ask some better questions. (laughs) So can you give us like an overview of calling lab? Cause I know that's been a, an incredible resource for so many in the Tampa network and beyond. Yeah. um, When we started again, as sort of, uh, you know, closet Pentecostals where we probably just thought, (laughs) just go pray. So we, we would actually just do these weekends calling Mm. where it was just prayer. It was just like, like, um, 
you know, silence and prayer. And then we would come at the end and be like, okay, so what's, what's your calling, you know, and realizing that that just was not enough. I mean, far be it for me to say that prayer isn't enough. It is, but you know, I, one of my favorite writers is a guy called Frederick Beekner, And he says, you know, he has this, this line of like, you, you should always be listening to your life. And mm. I, th I think that, that God is speaking to us in more ways than just the quiet, quiet place of prayer. You know, it's, it, we, we, I think that's one, one of six essentially dynamics of hearing calling is, is that place of quiet and prayer. But as you said, you know, input from trusted counselor, uh, people that know you, that love Jesus, you know, what do they think about you? What do they think your strengths are? Where do they, where do they see you light up or to see fruit in your life? You know, um, vocational kind of questions like APEST, um, those things are important in trying to discern your calling personality, mm -hmm. you know, uh, just loving to be good with people or, or being good with tasks or, or engineering or something like that. Th th those, that's not the answer to your calling, but it's a factor. It's something that you listen to opportunity. You know, we realized a lot of times people's calling is attached to, to some place they currently are some access they currently have and we just overlook that so easily when it's 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 a massively important part of what god is is saying sort of whispering to you i put you here for a reason you know yeah. you have this job for a reason you're on this block for a reason you're you're you know you you, you got this degree for a reason you have this this relationship with this company or these these people for a reason you know even something as horrible as as cancer or something like that surviving cancer is a great example because cancer survivors are uniquely equipped to minister to people who have a diagnosis of cancer and kind of the rest of us can't i mean i mean it's it, it's kind of binary it's not to say that we can't try to be comforting and love people but right. the difference between somebody i mean i have a friend uh, well my 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 cousin my uncle's youngest son just committed suicide mm and jumped so, off a bridge and i have these friends who a few three years ago their son their their college age son jumped off a bridge and committed suicide shockingly like with, with no signs you know of any problems and the truth is that's a horrible club to be in but but nobody can comfort them except someone mm. in that club not really not not materially I mean, even to the point of saying, to, to listen to my friends say, I, did, I don't want to hear anything from anybody mm -hmm. except for a, a, a couple that he knew that had lost their child to suicide. Mm -hmm. So that's a strange way to talk about opportunity, but that's a, that becomes a massive, you know, uh, factor in considering, you know, emotional evaluation. We looked at like, um, what makes you angry? You know, what fires you up? Because not everything does. What makes you deeply sad or deeply emotionally affected? That can often be that pathos is not something to be to be marginalized mm -hmm. in, in, in the search for calling. It's something to actually be uh, to give prominence to to think, why am I so emotionally moved by this? Because the truth is, as a missionary person, you, that's outside of some big visionary leader in a visionary community, you're going to have to find the motivation the 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 aspiration 
from somewhere inside. It's intrinsic motivation as opposed to extrinsic motivation, to, to quote Daniel Pink. So, so emotion is really important. Like what, what really just, uh, even anger particularly, you know, like that just, I just can't suffer that. That has to change. And that you wake up every morning feeling, and sometimes that is attached to yeah. some, some opportunity, something that's happened. My, my friends who lost their son, who jumped off the Skyway Bridge, started this campaign and, and this website of like, you know, praying for the Skyway Bridge. Mm-hmm. Because, because so many hundreds of people have committed suicide by jumping off that particular bridge, as as is the case with a lot of bridges, you know. And so, you know, that that passion of like someone should do something about this. We have to have call boxes. Or there needs to be patrols. You know, people yeah. need to be praying. Their eyes need to be open. Like waking up to that and feeling that in, intrinsic motivation to do that. Uh, I think all of those things become part of how we listen to our life, listen to God. And then, but then the tricky thing is, even after a weekend of, st- of looking at those six factors, people still are gun shy <laughs> to answer the question. Yeah. So we 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 force them to to fill in that that last triangle and to say, I believe that God is calling me to. Yes. Just by faith, you're you're gonna yeah. try and say yeah. something, because yeah, of course to say nothing. Yeah, to take a position, you know, an unhelpful position. Uh, yeah, we do something. I mean, very, very similar. We have a we call it the discovery process, and very similar assessments. And same thing when we debrief, we have a moment where it's like we ask, we want you to write this down in one sentence. Yeah, and, and we want you to do it right now. <laughs> and, and people, it's like ah, <laughs> like ah. You know, I think, but it, it's a powerful experience. Yeah. And, We've and have been amazed at the number of uh, almost like Emmaus moments where people are reading it afterwards, and it's <sighs> yeah, it's it's like being born again. It's another, it's an it, that discovery of of who I am and what I'm meant to do. At least for now, is like being born again. I mean, it is it is another peeling back of revelation that the world just looks different. Mm-hmm. Uh, after you walk out of it, it's it's not dissimilar from conversion mm-hmm. because in a sense it is a new conversion it's yeah. a conversion to being a sent person yeah you know? mm-hmm. and to know that actually i have a, a a role to play in the kingdom that only i can play yeah. um that's that's mind-blowing it's life-changing mm-hmm. so i was uh my parents two years ago decided to, I'm going to ask you to tell a story, by the way, of how you've helped somebody walk through this, but I'm going to tee you up while you're thinking about it. (laughs) So my parents left to go to South Africa for several months to kind of fill in a missionary role. Uh, And so I was cutting their grass while they were gone. And I was listening to underground, uh, which you wrote and then read. (laughs) And I remember where I was in their yard when I was, listening to you thinking about or reading about sitting down in this burger joint with somebody and they just get to share their dream. And I remember being so inspired in that moment. Like I want to, I want to do that every day. <laughs> like I just want to sit with people up, man. Without dreaming about something and go, yeah, we want to help you. And since then I've had that like joy as part of this, like that'd be one of the things for those listening is one read that book and think about that moment 
uh, of just like, what's the life in that moment that you get to sit with somebody and not tell them, no, that doesn't really fit with what we do, but rather that sounds crazy. Let's try that. (laughs) So like put some flesh on it. Like what's one of the stories that stands out to you of just being able to sit and hear one of those dreams of like, I think this is my calling and being able to help them go, yeah, this is going to lead to the church emerging. Well, maybe, you know, maybe that whole approach or the, the centrality really of that, it's funny because that story really um, resonates, means something to a lot of people. I, I don't know if it's just different than what ministry is normally like for us, um, where we feel like we have to execute somebody else's plan or but to just listen to somebody to hear some the the you know the gem the diamond of an idea in the middle of it and just say if you feel God's call you do it you should do that you should not let anything stop you yes and we and we will give you everything in our power yes to help you do that you know but we early on when I was doing campus ministry we would do this six week urban kind of internship take people they would immersion they would live in the inner city and work at a at an inner city mission and we would do this kind of urban theology class and at the end of it i would always have these students so it, it, it could be 30 to 50 students a summer you know and so at the end of it i would do i would do this exercise to say okay you've seen all these needs all these problems all these conflated issues if you were to solve one of them you know which one would you solve and we it was just a simulation of like start a nonprofit for to solve that problem so pick one so it's just an exercise you have to pick something that you've seen that you think needs to be fixed you know or could be that there's a need somebody needs to do more um and then i put them in groups based on their affinity towards something and then they would just design a nonprofit mm-hmm. to begin to solve that that was the that was the workshop that was the exercise and you know a bunch of micro churches started from that like students would leave and go well i'm gonna do that what's stopping me right yeah and of course we were like well you should do that i mean the whole point of us doing the exercise is so that it would open up your imagination but that was really that was the beginning for me of realizing that's what we should be doing i mean basically that that is the that's what leadership in our time should look like Mm -hmm. it should be about helping people hear God, see Mm -hmm. need, Mm -hmm. feel a deep sense of love and calling Mm -hmm. based on love. Now to say that, you know, these these people, no one's loving them, no one's helping them, no one's reaching them, or not Mm -hmm. enough is happening. And I want to be the solution to that. And that is almost always um, God at work. (laughs) You know, it's not, it's not, the flesh it's not the devil it's not sin at work in you so i i don't know what's left but um it's probably god especially if you're going to go work with the poor you know mm-hmm. so there are still micro churches today that that exist and are that are going wonderfully from those from those Amen. workshops from those exercises but it changed me right it changed me to realize oh this isn't just an exercise at the end of a an internship experience this is like what we should all be this is like what what modern leadership in the church should look like it should look like just saying yes to people as they discover a burden for some place and some people yeah Yeah. there's brian you're talking there's 
this story that popped into my head that uh, happened at a training event we had here recently. And there was, it was a, a, a church leader. Um, and after we explained and told some stories about helping um, ordinary people discover their calling and then see microchurches emerge out of that, um, one of these guys raised his hand. He's like, I have to ask, I have to ask something. He told these stories about these two different uh, little teams. One of them were really into motorcycles and the other one classic cars and how as they began to pursue their passion, um, they began to see new communities that were emerging around Jesus. And they came to him to say, we're not sure what's happening here. Uh, This is so amazing. And, uh, and what he did was he made them ministries of his church and he began to uh, manage them. He had to, they had to have a representative from that little group sit on their ministry board and show up to the meetings and do all this stuff. It was like, the thing that was profound though, is this man began to weep and repent publicly. He said, I, I killed it. Yeah. They killed him. I killed it. And that's why this conversation we're having, there's, there's two shifts. One is, moving from like a centralized paradigm of the church to this decentralized network. And then secondly, it's the shift from management to equipping. Mm-hmm. And, and I just want to uh, celebrate again, just the uh, pioneering work that you guys have done to show people an example, a working model. And I just want to offer that story is also just as a cautionary tale. Um, the goal here isn't control or to create some kind of new set of programs. It's a, it's about supporting people through equipping and prayer um, and especially coaching. Uh, so I wanted to kind of pivot into that. Um, talk about the relationship between calling discovery deployment and coaching. What does that look like in the Tampa underground in your life as you're developing people? Well, again, I, I think, a part of what you what you're doing if you think of like discipleship as a as a concept or a system and then you're thinking of injecting this this really powerful potent notion of calling which is essentially the the presence of god the the leadership of god so now you have my leadership what i'm doing with you what i'm trying to teach you or share with you or my idea of where we should go next and god and so Essentially, what, what's happening is a triangulation, a triangulation between what I do, what God does in your life to form you into a mature person or into somebody that looks like Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. So when I put it that way, it becomes pretty clear how dangerous it would be for us to take the lead in that triangle, mm-hmm. right? Just how inappropriate, how, well, evil, even possibly, for us to take the lead in that triangle. So to recognize the presence of God as the primary leader teacher in that in the relationship, we're not called to make disciples of ourselves. We're called to make disciples of Jesus. So the primary relationship is about Jesus. Yeah. And and that it's about you and him, right? And so that one of the one of the reasons why I think coaching works in this this structure, this whatever construct is because a good coach, good coaching understands that, well, 
the way that the way that the coaching literature would put it is the the person being coached always has the answer and that what you do as a coach is you help them find it Amen. you don't you you really have to believe that i mean to and i'm 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 not a good coach but i just <laughs> on record i'm not i just i can't i can't hang in there long enough i just want to say what i think um <laughs> You know, I try, I can go a good 15 minutes, you know, <laughs> what else you know, tell me, um, like, like the, the three most important questions a coach asks is tell me more. Mm-hmm. And because it's, it's there, it's there, it's there. Tell me more. Tell me why, tell me what, what, what do you think you should do? And then how, well, how do you think you should face that? You know, but it's this belief, this, this almost, almost fanatical belief mm. that this person has the answer Yeah. and the coach's job is to help them find it. Amen. The headship of Jesus in their life will, is the answer. So that, if that's what secular coaches are saying about coaching, what do we think? So now right. we're like, it's not just that you have the answer. It's that you have the answerer. And actually the, the, the ultimate leader is right there, you know, within fingertip touching mm. of, your, of your decision. Making, Come on. Your heart, whatever. So if, so what am I doing there? <laughs> right, what's my role <laughs> you know when the, the god who made you and saved you and died for you is right there at you know accessible to your mind to your heart to your decision making what am i doing you know the mm-hmm. only thing that's plausible in that situation is to draw attention to him to to, mm-hmm. to, to, to to take the hand and to put it into the other hand you know so i think in that way coaching is is an elegant uh way of thinking about leadership in general yeah that that what we're meant to do with other christians is not leadership in the in the sort of 20th century iteration of leadership which is about which is about direction and dominance that that, i don't mean it that way i don't mean it as some sort of horrible thing but it's about it's about taking a hill right and it's about collecting an army you know to go with me or whatever and I, th- I think this is a more elegant solution to a decentralized thing. Say, look, I, I, I literally cannot lead you in that way. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's not, I'm not capable of it mm-hmm. because only God can do that. And he's right there accessible to you. What is God saying to you? How is he leading you? Mm-hmm. What, you know, how has he shaped you? What has he already shown you? What have you already heard? And I'm telling you, I mean, the, what is it? The end of Romans where Paul says something like, I say all of these things. I mean, this is, this is, this is the book that started the Protestant Reformation. This is one, this is probably the deepest theological treatise in the Bible, right? (laughs) He says at the end of Romans, he says, I just say all these things to remind you of stuff you already know. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's like a verse you're like, well, Paul, really? I didn't know all that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I knew all that, but he's like, you already, and that's, that was his, that's his argument for why he's going to go to Spain, right? Why he doesn't, why he's not going to come to Rome. Mm. You know, as important as Rome is in the empire, he's like, mm, you actually don't need me because you have the spirit's presence and all this stuff I've been saying, the truth is you kind of already knew it. And it's already something that the spirit was teaching you. And so I have to go to Spain because they don't, they haven't heard any of it. They don't have the spirit of God in them. And you do bottom line. That's, that's the differentiator for Paul between whether he goes to Rome or goes to Spain. Mm And I, something about that is just is just really so powerful. Almost like the answer 
yeah, to, yeah. to the way we're meant to lead in the time in which we live, where we, do, we almost just refuse, actually, a conventional form of leadership in people's mm-hmm. lives. And we just say, I, I just can't. I won't. Mm-hmm. I'm not equipped. But I can, I can help you here, God. I can help you discover. I can certainly give you advice, or I can tell you what I would do, or what I have done. I could, we can tell stories. It's the difference, Rob, between um, models, adopting models, and stories. Mm. You know, models are meant to be replicated and repeated. Stories are meant to inspire us. They're meant to make our own story. So everything we've called a model is probably just better understood as a story. Mm-hmm. And we can we can hear that story, learn from it, copy it, part of it. Um, but but to, but to just take a model and replicate that model, whatever is to, is to then lose your own story. Yeah, it's to not realize that actually God is has a very unique thing for only you to do in the world. And it's uh, like jazz. Like all right, there's standards, but everyone plays them a different way. And, yeah. and yeah. you're supposed to, you know. Yeah, yeah. the exploration of it. And yeah. We wanted to. Uh, your book. So yep. that's, that's where I was going. We, we, oh, yeah, we will spend a half an hour on your book or so. And now you have five minutes <laughs> to give us an overview because we want to hear about the six seasons of calling. And I just think it would be a, a helpful way to kind of wrap up our time to hear what you're, what you just put out, how people can explore that. Yeah. So I, I think maybe, and, and maybe it is a good, good place to end our conversation because when we feel called by God into a place or to a people group, you know, is that forever? Is that for the whole of our life? And I think maybe when you're young, we certainly made this mistake that you kind of think it is that, that you think that calling is this static thing. The once God has answered you, you know, buy the ticket to this place that it's like, that's it for life. And then what happens in my opinion, in my experience is about every 10, 12 years, it doesn't, it isn't right anymore. Mm-hmm. And something, something dramatic is actually changing about you, mm-hmm. about the, the, the context of your life, mm-hmm. about what you've accomplished, about the people around you. And, and actually there is a, there is a, a change, a, a dynamism to calling that, that I, I would argue about six times in your life, you, you sort of go through this, this isn't quite right. And you go back to God with a, a crisis, actually, a, a, a crisis of identity. Who am I? You know, when the kids, like I'm down to one kid, I have six children. There's one kid left in the house. And when he leaves, Monica and I are going to look at each other and go, you know, what, what do we do now? <laughs> like, who are we now? You know, and that those kind of massive changes in our lives, they're, 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 they're meant to be turning points. They're meant to bring us back, just like when we were 22, 23, when we went to God and said, who am I? And what do you want for my life? And, and send me, show me. And I'm, I'm saying that happens at, at about mid-30s. It happens in your late 40s. It happens when you're 60. It happens when you're 70. Like these, there are these major turning points that we can sort of notice. Um, you know, when Jesus says to his disciples, uh, you know, there are many things that I would want to say to you, but you, I can't tell you now, you know, mm-hmm. before he talks about in my father's house, there are many rooms. It's like you get a little bit of revelation when you're 20 and it's not enough for actually your whole life. And and there's only so much you can handle and only so much you can understand. So I, I think that this, that's essentially what the book is about. It's about these six major transitions, these mm-hmm. sort of days. Like if you think of your life as a week, 
of creation. You know, God mm-hmm. created the world in a in in six days. Uh, you know, what 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 is your life? What has an act of creation going to look like? And so to see the kind of like repeated pattern that many of us go through. So I don't know if you guys have read it, but 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 the people that are feeding back and and actually from all my work with calling and with hundreds of people that we've seen go through calling and rec- and recognizing that what they hear when they're 20 is different than what they hear when they're in their thirties and forties and so on. And then maybe that's all very healthy and very normal. Yeah. So where's the best place for people to uh, find that book? Oh, you can get it anywhere. Books are sold. Like, <laughs> Amazon, whatever. I don't know. Yeah. It's out there. Anywhere books are sold. Amazon. <laughs> is that, is there another place? I don't know. <laughs> Not for me. Yeah. That's so good. I, a couple of resources I would encourage those of you listening as well as to go to tampaunderground.com and, and uh, just search the calling lab. Uh, you, there's a, a companion book. There's a course you can go through. Um, there's the book, find your place, uh, that Rob wrote with Brian Phipps and just, uh, digging into that, that GPS and understanding your gifts, your passions, your story, and how the collision of those three things can help you discern calling. Uh, so those are a few that jumped to my mind that if you're dreaming about it at all, go explore them and step into those. Yeah. I just want to say too, there's a free assessment for that. If people want to take that. It uh, gives passionstory.com. Yeah. Awesome. Brian, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today and to say grace and peace. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Leadership Network podcast and joining the conversation for what is next for the church and its leaders. We look forward to connecting with you as we bring our questions, contribute our wisdom, and pursue what is next. Visit leadnet.org for more resources, information about leader cohorts, and more. That is leadnet.org.